I'm Bijan Karimi. Welcome to The Reflecting Pool, where I discuss thesis research being done by CHDS students, how the topic relates to the broader Homeland Security enterprise, and what it's like to be part of the master's program. Kevin Peters is chief for the National Threat Evaluation and Reporting Program in the Office of Intelligence and Analysis at DHS. He's been in the intelligence field for over 25 years, half as someone living overseas gathering intel and the other as someone analyzing it. During his time, he's focused on border security, drug trafficking, and transnational crime in Latin America. We met at CHDS's annual APEX conference, where he presented on the difference between the perception and reality of border security. Kevin already had an MBA from Penn State, but came to NPS because he was looking for another challenge, to broaden his background and grow his career. During his first quarter, he wrote a paper on his intended thesis topic and promptly decided that is not what he wanted to research. So he turned his focus to the future, looking for the next thing criminal organizations were likely to exploit and helping his agency anticipate their adversary's next move. Kevin admits he doesn't have a background in technology, but was intrigued by new developments that are transforming our society and how they can be used by criminal organizations who are often first adopters of new technology. The term artificial intelligence is bandied about all the time. It's become more of a marketing buzzword than an actual thing. It's big data, business analytics, Netflix recommendations, and no doubt coming to your refrigerator sometime soon. We started our conversation with Kevin's explanation of what AI actually is. Artificial intelligence is it's a broad category. It's been around since the 1950s. And really, it is an umbrella that covers how machines learn the way humans learn. So we learn through experience, through logic, through perception. You know, it's not like the matrix where we can just have information plugged into our brains. We, we learn through our life experiences. So that's kind of the broader umbrella that I look at for artificial intelligence. If artificial intelligence is machines learning the way humans do, we can learn good things, we can learn bad things. Right. The title of your work is Malicious AI. What does that mean? Looking at, at malicious AI, I don't necessarily think that the technology itself is, is good or bad. You know, machine learning allows uh, a computer to learn and evolve through experience. And if we're programming it and we're giving it the direction to do things, it's acquiring data, it's moving it in a direction towards the outcome that we're kind of pointing in that direction. And that outcome can be good or bad. So the, the malicious AI piece was more of a, how can you take the technology, which every day is becoming more integrated in our industries and in our society, and how can it be used against us? This is a tool and a capability that criminal organizations will use for any number of nefarious purposes. So they're the early adopters. Usually I think of a criminal, criminal organization, they're right. in a place, yeah. yet because of the technology, they could be anywhere. That's the way I framed kind of the problem for, for my thesis is we're looking at really cyber criminals or transnational criminal organizations, not necessarily in the Bay Area or in an area that it's easy for us to say this falls under the jurisdiction of this law enforcement agency. I think in your methodology section, you really narrowly focus. When we hear artificial intelligence, it seems like a pretty big, hefty thing Absolutely. that a nation state would be involved with. Yeah. How come you chose to focus your research the way you did? Part of that was just a factor of, of scoping to make sure it was manageable. Focusing it on what's the motivation for the action, being profit-based and, and uh, financial motiv motivation helped kind of scope where I wanted to go. Although I think it's it's... A really important point, especially when we talk about information technology and, and getting into 
an election year. I mean, there are examples, and I do highlight a few examples of nation states that have used deep fakes or other types to try to change a political process, just show the capability already is, is moving in that direction. But I think that that's an area that I talked about at the end where I would recommend future research of basically taking a lot of where we hopefully I've I've started and pick up with the um, focus on how nation states will be using this as well and incorporating machine learning and deep learning and other types of AI tools and capabilities as part of their information warfare campaigns and their their disinformation campaigns. To do your analysis, Mm -hmm. you developed four different scenarios. One of the challenges with AI is people's perception there's so much based on fiction. So I had four scenarios, and they all kind of tackled different challenges. The, the first one was about a fully autonomous weapon system. What would that look like if it wasn't a nation-state building it, but it was a criminal-taking software that was either taken off of uh, you know an API that can be applied to an operating system, and then a commercial mechanics, making IEDs, what would that look like? Just buying, you know, things that are commercially available and making your own weapon system. The second system was one that at the time felt like it was more futuristic and now it's more present day is deepfakes. Uh, When I started doing research, deepfakes were not as commonly known. It was really more of an issue of personal privacy for celebrities and people's face being used in, in ways they didn't feel comfortable with and kind of where could that go? Technology since then has really evolved to, it takes a lot less images to make, you know, really high quality deep fake videos. The third one was taking, how is our identity theft challenge, uh, how can that change once you have the ability to aggregate information and correlate it in new ways with machine learning? Uh, and the way that social identity is used to target us for, for identity theft and designed to get us to click onto you know, things we shouldn't click on that gain access to our information systems. What would that look like when an AI system and a machine learning system can aggregate your personal information in a way that you think you're talking and you're interacting with somebody when you're actually interacting with an email that launches a, a ransomware attack on your network? And then the last one was a little bit more nuanced towards a phenomenon more common in Latin America, which is a virtual kidnapping, where a virtual kidnapping is, is uh, gunmen or, or kidnappers will, will follow your family and they'll call you and say, hey, I know where your daughter goes to school. If you don't pay me, we're going to kidnap her or we're going to assault her. Again, kind of like the last scenario is how could your personal information be used to develop a really detailed pattern of life that would be able to tell you know, a father that, hey, your, your college daughter, I know where she'll be tomorrow night because of all her social media posts and aggregate information that's available through schools and other ways to develop a really complete pattern of life. One of the examples you gave, yeah. you said with deepfakes, has already taking place. Right. You predicted the future. <laughs> yeah. From those other scenarios, which one do you think is the most plausible that criminals will exploit? Yeah, the one I am most worried about is probably the identity theft one. I mean, I think the deep fake one is, is the one we're confronting now. And, and mine was, was more looking at how can they be used for blackmail and kind of brand attacking and to the point that someone would pay a ransom so a deepfake wouldn't be launched. And I think the technology is moving in a direction that will kind of prevent that scenario. But the identity theft is hard because that's such an underreported crime. And with the tools and the ability to really target and make spear phishing attacks more targeted, I think that will become a more a broader challenge, um, especially if the, the actors doing it are international, how do we respond to that? And, and, and what's the next steps in that case? If the criminals perpetrating this are not 
located here in the United States. They're anywhere. Mm-hmm. Identity theft is the issue. There's right. no physical harm that's brought to the person. Right. Who's responsible for the, the follow-up, for, for right. prosecuting this? Is this one of the big challenges of this type of uh, criminal activity? I think it is, and that's really what a lot of the research uh, toward the, the tail end of the thesis was kind of focused on, is how do you handle this, especially if the actor is overseas in an area where it's difficult to determine their location, and even if it is difficult to develop a prosecution, and you know, do you have the international agreements? Can you, can you build a case? Can you extradite? All those things become immensely challenging. And if you're a, a U.S.-based um, investigator, is it worth the effort to go after this crime, or is it a crime that's going to be, you know, at a low enough level, criminals can make a great deal of money, but do it at an echelon that's so low that, you know, that they're making money per victim. The thresholds aren't very high, but when you talk about the ability to aggregate data in ways that they can attack more victims, they're making a lot of money uh, in a ways that it's hard to go after them. And if they're targeting citizens in other places, how do you really hit that threshold where everybody wants to go and and destroy those organizations? So manpower is expensive. Computing power is not the criminals are using AI. Does the government or right. some agency employ its own version of AI to go after it, fighting AI with AI? Yeah, no, I, I hope so. And one of my recommendations really is for more collaboration with private industry and the kind of the thought leaders that develop AI tools to that exact point. And I think you're seeing that to a certain degree with the, the deep fake threats is every year the technology and the, the tools that build deep fakes are becoming more, um, they require less and less videos. So the first deep fakes required, they were of like presidents or world leaders because there's so much video of them speaking publicly that you can you can build deep fakes around those. And, and every year the technology is getting to the point where you need less and less videos. I think it's going to be the point where if somebody has access to your Facebook feed and they can see you and a few public events, they'll have enough to make really high-quality high deep fakes. But we're also detecting deep fakes by the use of the same kinds of technology to determine the, the anomalies in the video and, and kind of understand the, the patterns and the traits of how the videos are made. So I think that's a good example of how, although AI has that downside that we're concerned with, the same tools are using it to detect it. It's being used. It's being detected that it's being used. Does law enforcement have the jurisdictional or legislative background in order to then take some action. The government is notoriously slow when it comes to regulating appropriate regulation, support the good, down with the bad, of new technology. What, What position should the government have with regulating I think this is probably the, one of the most important points of this research is that area of where does the government and how is the government's role in doing this. Um, to this point, the industry is growing so fast and uh, the tools, and I think we really need to applaud the AI safety community, which is multidisciplinary. It's people that build tools. It's, it's people that look at it from an ethical perspective of where should this go, the thought that artificial intelligence will hit the, the general intelligence threshold and, and be able to think and create on their own. It's not there yet. It may be five years away. It may be our lifetime away. But people are thinking about what are the implications of that. And I think the government needs to be involved in those conversations to the extent I think they are, but there's more to be done there. And, and part of the process of the research was really identifying where are our cybersecurity strategies and where are the strategy framework, as you were, 
Uh, last year, there was an executive order describing um, how we're going to integrate AI, and it's very broad, a uh, good first step, but a lot more needs to be done. What do the implementation plans look like? What are the steps? What are the goals and objectives for AI safety that will do the things that we're talking about to help us develop AI as it continues to promulgate through virtually every industry, especially machine learning is, is touching virtually every industry, and it impacts our way our life in ways that most people may not be aware of. Where are those thresholds where we need to be cautious? of the next steps. And as more and more information gets integrated on the Internet of Things, that's more data that's available to these machine learning systems, what are the implications of that? Are there any other countries that are doing this better than we are? Yeah, I think I highlighted in my research work being done in England, France, and Australia in particular. And I think to their own degrees, there's some positive takeaways we can take from from those countries. By the nature of the European Union and just the way trade happens and, and regulations happen, I think they have a good framework to start doing this. I think Interpol and Europol are working towards better identifying cyber crime and cybersecurity threats. So there's a, a policy framework and an international partnership that can start with this. But I think more needs to be done in terms of focusing on the threats of malicious artificial intelligence. The, the community is starting to go in that direction. There was a really good conference where it brought in a lot of academics and people from both sides of the oceans uh, looking at where these concerns and it got wide-scale attention and, and a lot of people uh, in places of, of the make decisions and help frame policy we're, we're, are taking note. So that's a good first step. You mentioned it's a global issue. Mm-hmm. The United States, some countries in the EU, Australia are right. taking an action. What about the rest of the world? Right. We, we are in a protectionist mode right now right. in many other countries. Yeah. How do we collectively deal with this issue because it can affect any country. That's a, an important point, and especially with cyber criminals now, um, with existing technologies. You know, if you are a cyber criminal in a, a country that doesn't have extradition and you're building ransomware attacks and you're selling ransomware software on the dark web and anytime someone launches that, you don't have to propagate it. Somebody else is propagating it and you get 20% of whatever that ransom is. You make a lot of money and you're in an area where you're pretty much untouchable. That's the challenge today. And that's one of the challenges that we need to continue to focus on. And I think that the processes of going after those types of criminal organizations and the work being done today are just as important in the future. Uh, It's just being aware of how the technology evolves and ensuring that law enforcement stays on top of where the technology is going so they can be aware when they start seeing these kinds of things. You know, when they're doing their initial investigations on a victim of ransomware or some kind of cyber crime, are they looking for the indicators and do they have partnerships with the right people to help them identify what this looks like? And then that helps frame the, the policy framework of what are the next steps? Do we have the laws in place to prosecute this? Is this something that hits a threshold that we want to change how we look at penalties and, and, and the usage of these kinds of things? And that's a difficult, very broad conversation that a lot of people have to be a part of. Thresholds is an interesting way to put that. How do you quantify or determine what a appropriate threshold is over which a right. action would be taken but below which... Not so much. Right. And I think that's a problem we have with cybercrime today. Other crimes are easier to see. Right? You can seize narcotics. You can seize illegal weapons. You can, the one that probably most people are familiar with is the Silk Road takedown. And here in the, the Bay Area, the, where the uh, Dread Pirate Roberts was, was picked up, and that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes. But then you saw that was just the tip of the iceberg. And trying to keep up with illicit drug markets and other kinds of illicit markets on the dark web is an ongoing challenge. And I think AI and malicious AI fits in that conversation, and that's a broader conversation 
conversation of how do we tackle this challenge. It's not going away. Uh, you know, the dark web is technology that was designed for great things, and I think it's, it, it provides a lot of value for groups around the world that need uh, inform- the ability to, to talk and, and provide their information what's going on in, in countries that they don't have free speech. So that's a conversation of how do we regulate the dark web, and there's a lot of benefits there. It's not just all the bad stuff. And that's the same thing with AI. It's already going to be, it's coming, or it's here. That's that's the reality with, with artificial intelligence. And really, where are we concerned it's going next, and what are the implications of that is where we need to focus. You mentioned one of the changes about deepfakes coming forward. Do you still see the same issues as what you identified in your scenarios as being the most pressing, or is there something new that's emerged? I think the um, the deepfakes it's have a lot of mainstream coverage, and I think people are becoming more and more aware of that. The concern I had with deepfakes is really more of like the cyber bullying and the ability to, you know, what happens if a teenager is, is being bullied by a video that has their likeness, but it wasn't them. And I think the technology is moving to the point where you could see that. You, you get upset with a coworker, you get upset with somebody in community, and you make a deepfake video and, and really use it as a bullying tactic. The Technology is not there yet, but I think it's coming, and, and we see that with every year. You know, it takes less and less uh, audio f- or video footage to make those videos. Do you still see identity theft as the most likely scenario? in the years to come. Absolutely. I think identity theft, uh, oftentimes, especially spear phishing, oftentimes deals with just old-fashioned social networking. The first real good cyber criminals were using the telephone system, and they were just calling people and pretending to be who they weren't, and people just were trusting and gave them access. So when we have the software and the tools to help aggregate our information based on your your Facebook posts or your social media posts or, or knowing where you were last week based off a news article and kind of be able to aggregate information so that you click on an email from me because you think we've met because I've seen a picture of us talking and you think that's a follow-up and you click on that ransomware attack and then you've infiltrated the network. I mean, we, we do a lot of work on you know, um, cybersecurity hygiene and, and kind of best practices and trying to identify those things. I think it's going to become more and more challenging as the technology allows for the ransomware and the other types of spear phishing threats to become more sophisticated. Kevin focused his research on organized crime, but said the same tools and machine learning techniques could be used by nation-states as part of their information warfare campaigns. It happened most notably during the 26th election and is likely happening in the run-up to the 2020 election. Kevin quotes Eliza Yudkowsky in his thesis. He says, by far the greatest danger of AI is that people conclude too early that they understand it. This encapsulates the complicated relationship people have with technology and how it becomes part of our lives. Listen to my interview with Lindsay White about her very personal experience with technology, overestimating its capabilities, and not understanding inherent limitations. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about Kevin Peters' thesis, 21st Century Crime, How Malicious Artificial Intelligence Will Impact the Homeland Security Enterprise. To read his thesis, Visit the Homeland Security Digital Library and search for Malicious Artificial Intelligence. CHDS is the nation's Homeland Security Educator and part of the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Since 2002, CHDS has provided a neutral educational forum where current and future Homeland Security leaders discuss policies, strategies, and programs needed to counter terrorism and handle catastrophic events. For information on the Masters, executive leadership, or other academic programs, visit chds.us.